G'day guys, it is the coach and he we are here talking uh I don't know Deepkin, I forgot for for a second. Uh and that is a play on words because the I don't know Deepkin come to my free cities, they take my souls, and then us humans forget about whatever happened and we go on our mer merry little ways uh doing what we do in the free cities. But uh, I hope you're all doing well. I am here with uh, Hayden Ford, uh, maybe Hayden Ford, hashtag number one, a uh, little inside joke for, for Hayden and I. Um, Hayden is an accomplished Ida the Deepkin player. He came 14th at CanCon, which is the world's largest Age of Sigma event. And Hayden and I were talking just before we started, and it was almost like this epiphany that this book is two to three years old. It's a long time since this book came out and, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, how much has really changed and um, Hayden's coming from us from the uh, Model Citizens. I always called you the Mortal Citizens, but Model <laughs> Citizens straight out of Melbourne. Uh, I should just let you talk, man. Welcome to the channel. Welcome to your debut. Uh, what else do people need to know about you, Hayden? Uh, not too much. Um, besides, I am the real Hayden, the one and only. Um, I'm from the Model Citizen crew, so big shout out to Mr. Smorgan and my overlord, William Knights. Um, that's about it. I've been playing Age of Sigma since probably the drop of Soul Wars. I've always been like a bit of a power player, so this is kind of why I guess I've been drawn to IDK. And ever since then, I've just been developing after, you know, more and more competitive lists. No, it's great to have you here and shout out to all of the mortal citizens, not model citizens, she's called mortal, uh, model citizens. I see Sam Morgan is in the chat as well. So he's called you Alpha Hayden because uh, you are Hayden number one. The inside joke here, guys, is that there are two Hayden, uh, two Hayden Fords in Australia who play Ivan the Deepkin. Uh, talk about confusing for someone like me who's trying to set up an interview. But uh, we are here to talk about Iden the Deepkin. Uh, Hayden has been very kind to share with me not only his CanCon list, the one that came 14th, but also some variants. Given that CanCon was in January, the meta has definitely shifted. We've had Wrath of the Everchosen. We've had Seraphon. We've had Zench. We've had so many things drop in the last couple of months just before COVID kind of hit. So it was good to get a variance to go, well, what would a Deepkin look like in the future? And I can see some people are asking about how many eels are in the list. Uh, some people are very excited about 27 eels. I don't know if that's actually in your list, but uh, that will be a treat that you'll give us very soon. Um, so good definitely, timing. Definitely. Good timing. <laughs> I think people are, on the right, people are on the right track with many eels, I think. I'm not sure, but I think there might be a few. And look, I, I'd be interested as well to get your, your your view on, you know, do you see a world where, you know, uh, Deepkin players aren't so heavily invested in eels, whether it's, you know, the, the defensive or the combative type eels? And, you know, with such a great range and such uh, the General's Handbook coming soon, you know, we, we can only assume 2020 is coming not far away, whether it's points adjustments, uh, scenario changes, uh, you know, will other parts of the book be unlocked? Um, so this should be a good chat. I'm looking forward to this, Hayden. Definitely, me too. I'm very pumped, ready to rock. So, uh, so what got you into it? What, what yeah, what, what what got you into Age of Sigma? First off, uh, first off, I've always been a big fan. Like, I'm gonna get um shamed for this, but I always, when I was younger, used to watch uh, Mini War Gaming. So I've always been a big fan of uh fantasy battle reports. And then uh, a good friend of mine, Arthur, came back from the UK, brought Death. I basically said, this is what I want to do now. Let's get, actually get into the game. So I picked up um, a uh, Order Draconis army just before uh, Soul Wars. I always had, like, I guess, a fascination for you know fast cavalry armies. So this is probably why where I am today. 
Um, but again, being a power gamer, my um, taste for competitiveness slowly grew. So, and then eventually, based on like my local scene, there weren't wasn't many players around doing Iden FD kin. So I thought this would be a great opportunity uh, to play something a little bit different than your usual Stormcast or your usual Orcs or Chaos, I suppose as well. Yeah. No, that's great. And the the chat is giving you plenty of shade. They're saying, um, you know, from a list variety point of view, they're like, isn't it just heroes and eels? Uh, so maybe you're going to prove us right or maybe you're going to prove us wrong. But uh, I'd like to think. And eels. <laughs> All right. Well, I'd like to think there is a world where uh, I, I can't wait for the day that Reavers hit the table and they're actually quite decent. I remember when the book very first dropped, they're like, oh man, Reavers going to hide under turtles. They're going to do all these shenanigans. I don't think I've ever seen Reavers on the table, or maybe once. I think you saw some variations of them. Like to get like when Slanesh first dropped, you had like that four drop running around with like, you know, the Thralls and the Reavers and that battalion just to try and, you know, out drop I um Slanesh when they were obviously a big issue. So obviously the battalion of that was pretty handy. But other than that, yeah, there haven't been that um big of a showcase. Yet. Or trying to get drops down. Yeah, yeah. One day there will be a time where the uh, the the, the idol idol is going to drop on the table, and we're going to have turtles, and we're going to have all the good stuff. Um, Hopefully, there'll be a day where there'll be lots of uh, sharks, alapexes. I think like they're the way of the future. Hopefully, after the GHB, you know, many many sharks. Ben Spinetti. I think I was going to say shout out to Ben Spinetti, the shark, the shark <laughs> man himself. <laughs> I, I have been on the uh, the back end of Ben Spinetti's Sharks and he, uh, when we played uh, about four months ago, he had a Charybdis as well. So uh, he's always down for those qu those quirky kind of lists. Definitely. I don't think that it's even that, like, it's not really like a quirky list. It is quite powerful when you sit down, you look at it and how mm. IDK actually play. You look at that, you that third turn, you know, you don't need to make a charge. It's just these Alapaxes are always at neg two, ren three damage. It's, it, it can be quite terrifying, I reckon, on a turn three with like four Alapaxes in your face. And when they sniff blood as well, I remember. Um, I remember yeah, when I played. Ben, I, I remember when Ben Spinetti had. Um, I had like a big block of thirty Phoenix Guard, and he just hit me with four sharks. I think he hit me with a hero as well. And uh, I think of the thirty Phoenix Guard, I think it was down to about ten after one round of combat. So they do pack a punch. But I think we're like ruining Christmas here, right? We're like unraveling, yeah. and we're yeah. talking about sharks, and we're talking about eels before we even got to the army. So <laughs> we know you're a. You're a model citizen. You're down in Melbourne. You've been playing Ideneth for a while. You've done very well at them competitively, although uh, you don't think you've hit your peak yet. You're still learning. Uh, the guys like Nick Cohen and Sam Morgan uh, are still taking you to school. But what are the strengths of this army? You know, imagine I walked into Games Workshop for the first time and I'm like, man, I love these beautiful models. Uh, what's the deal with them? What are the strengths? Yeah, what are the strengths? So I kind of broke it down into three kind of categories. So obviously, number one would be they participate in the activation war. So the fact that they fight at the start of combat, so that activation war shenanigans. The fact that they're very strong versus shooting. So as we're developing more of a shooting meta, they just get stronger and stronger naturally because of their allegiance, which I guess we'll cover later. And a final thing, which I think is the most underrated one, is just the fact that they, they have the ability to take dice out of a dice game. So that reliability that um, those bonuses to charge, for example, which is probably what we'll dive into a little bit later. But the fact that you can say, I'm going to achieve this no matter what happens because I have that many bonuses makes them very strong. Because the one thing, I guess, going into the game is like, what if I roll bad? What if I roll, what happens if this happens? This, I don't have to worry. I know it's going to happen. And that reliability allows me to set up plays to always go through with a plan at the end of the day. 
And I think that's, you know, for me, that's been always been one of the biggest strengths of the Deepkin is that there is a lot of reliability. When you want to teleport some eels on the side of the board and you want to kind of strike me from you know, a, a vulnerable weak point, there is so many ways to get almost basically guarantee it. You know, you, it's like failing it is like 0.1 of a percent because there are so many ways you can guarantee some things. Um, so consistency and reliability is absolutely key. Um and the models are brilliant. I think, you know, for me, think, the yeah. in range is just one of the best. I think they have a very lovely model, but they got to fix those stands. Like, I got rid of my stands as soon as I got them. They're absolutely atrocious. But besides from that, beautiful range. Love it. And it's fact what that have, it's just like... What have you done to, to replace your stands? I just went um local hobby store, got like, uh, you know, just the dead straight stands and then just drilled into the bottom and then just like built up, um you know, rocks and reefs around it just to make it look like they're in water. But um yeah, it's just 10 times better than um, having the old curvy stands that broke two seconds in to, you know, yeah, you okay. own in the model. Uh, well, I'm building KO engine riggers right now who have got that little bendy stand, so I'll keep yeah, an eye on that. You, you are, surely you'll figure out later on, yeah, that they just break so easily and they're impossible to repair. All right, well, hot tip for anyone who's starting Ithinge Deepkin, although uh, I have seen plenty of people using, like, Azerite Ruins, looking at other ways to kind yes. of build up, to, to kind of reduce that weird bend. But yeah, um, you're getting a lot of love in the chat, by the way. You're you're the people's champion. Oh, people's champion, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so they're a great range. Um, you know, they've got a lot of guarantees. They've got high movement. Uh, they are traditionally a low model count. Um, you know, while you can put uh, thralls and reavers on the board, traditionally it's quite a low model count. Maybe not as much as like a, you know, an army full of stone horns or, or gargants, but you know, in, in the scale of things, it's not like a big horde army. I think that's the other thing that's great about it. It's the fact that um, you know, the sea in real life is full of all kinds of you know color patterns and all this, and the fact that you got such a low model count allows you to take that time to you know say this group of eel, I'm going to separate them by doing this, or I'm going to take this set of eels and do this to them. It gives you that I guess that hobby ability to express a little bit more than just I'm going to pay sixty grots, you know, and do them all that one batch color and get it over and done with, you know. So there's a little bit more fun involved. 60. Or like one hundred and sixty. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. I, 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 I don't have any shooting ones, but yeah, 160. Or 180 skinks, you know, whatever it used back in the day. <laughs> no, no sympathy from me if you're taking 180 skinks, but you did allude to the event, the, the allegiance abilities, and um, you kind of give us a high level, you know, strengths of the, of the army, but I'd love your interpretation of the allegiance abilities. So if I go uh, allegiance, I have the dipkin over, you know, Grand Alliance order, I'm going to get a whole bunch of stuff. Um, maybe not as rich or as uh, not as many rules as maybe some of the other books, but certainly some interesting mechanics and probably ones that are maybe a bit simpler to use, but harder to execute because there's so much precision and so much amazing goodness in here. So I'm going to read out some of the abilities and I'd love for your perception of what does it mean to me as an Ivan the Deepkin player, especially one who's super experienced like you are? Does that sound good? Sounds excellent. Hit me up. All right. So the good news is, is that unlike most other allegiances, you've only got a couple. The first one here is going to be uh, Forgotten Nightmare. So basically missile weapons can only be used to target an Ivan the Deepkin unit uh, with this battle trait if it is the closest vis uh, sorry, visible enemy unit. So basically, the opponent can only shoot you if it is the closest model to them. Hundred percent. Seems simple. Yeah. Seems simple. Seems simple. But yeah. How does it work on the table? 
Uh, so it's always on a model by model basis. So what that means is that you have to measure, you have to shoot the closest model on a model by model basis. So if you have like 30 hang gutters and they're like, you know, five inches from this unit, five inches from that unit, you got to obviously measure half and half, but you don't get the luxury of sniping my heroes. You don't get the luxury of sniping, you know, my elite units if I have them covered by screens, but it also extends out to your allies as well, because the rule specifically says the closest, um, if they're the closest model, but if you have an ally in front, from what I believe, they have to still shoot that model because that item of beacon is not the closest visible model. So even cheap, you know, Aether Wings can be a great screen to, again, save all your elite units and all that. But it just means at the end, like, really, that I can screen my heroes effectively, but I don't have to worry about them being sniped off the board. Interesting. And it, it gives you some good, you know, some very interesting mechanics as well because the missile weapons can only be used to target an either Deepkin unit if it is visible. Uh, so if it's yeah. closest visible. So if you are hiding behind a piece of terrain, it's not the most visible. So I imagine I can shoot something else. But Yeah, um, so behind it, exactly. But it does like, you know, there are some artifacts that, you know, help with the Forgotten Nightmare as well that, you know, you can um, use what's called the uh, Cloud of Midnight, which makes you untargetable, but you are still visible. So it just means you can nullify a whole round of shooting if that hero is in a key point or a specific area. So it's a very, very powerful artifact. Probably one of the most powerful ones, I think, going around. The fact that, you know, comboed with that allegiance, that you can just say, you don't get to shoot for a whole round now. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And especially you made a really good comment right at the start of the show, is that about the last 12 to 18 months, shooting hasn't really been a thing. Um, and probably I think over the last couple of months, especially in, with the introduction of things like Cities of Sigma, who are bringing Eye Drake, Sisters yep. of the Thorn, Handgunners, Crossbowmen, you're starting to see more and more shooting. You've got Skinks now coming on the table. You've got your Pink Horrors coming on the table. So we're moving into potentially a shooting meta, or a lot more armies are taking shooting as an option. So the Forgotten Nightmare is going to be great to be able to basically protect those juicy things, whether it's going to be a big hero or a small hero, whether it's something you're trying to protect so that it can get close in range to actually get into combat. Um, you can use some nice little screens and use some nice little you know shenanigans on the table to protect those juicy models. Exactly. Yeah, it's it is a very. I think this is one of the reasons why IDNF Deacon have survived. You know, three years without a book, still being at the top. Is these allegiance abilities are, you know, always relevant in the meta. Doesn't matter if it's combat. Doesn't matter if it's shooting. Like they always somehow come into play to be quite strong. Before I move on, any recommendations on things that you like to use or you try to you know protect with a screen? Like, what are some of the really good things? That, you know, you mentioned Aether Wings as an example. Is there anything else yep. that you think about could could be a nice little screen? The Ishland Guard, like there. So the Ishland Guard um, are a, uh, an Achillean unit. They have the shields, not the spears, or the swords, I should say. Um, they're four up unrendable, but obviously in turn one, depending on which tide you're on, which is the Carver Tide, you get, they're three up unrendable. So they're basically, I would say, against most shooting, unkillable. It's like 12, three models, 12 wounds. You can't kill me, but you have to kill them. And it's the most efficient into some degrees the most efficient 140 points you'll spend in the army if you don't you know extend out to allies etc yeah yeah that's great um the second part and this is probably where it gets a little bit more complicated um uh, i love this table and i love the fact that you know you can manipulate this table a little bit so the second piece we're going to talk about here is the tides of death so basically uh the Eidneth deepkin unit with this battle trait 
um, will have different types of death ability for each battle round. So basically, battle round one, there's X. Battle round two, there's X. And you can see there's a table here. You can see a whole bunch of stuff like low tide, flood tide, high tide, ebb tide, and then you repeat the tides of death. So there's going to be things such as uh, in the battle round, all units with the tide of death battle trait are treated as being in cover. You are going to get things such as you're able to run and still shoot or charge. There's going to be some things like um, basically you fight before anyone else resolves their fighting, um, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff. So first things first, talk to me about this table. Um, I think this table is, yeah, it's the big thing about INF Deking. So obviously your first tide is your low tide, which just means your whole benefit gains the benefit of cover, which again ties back to what I just mentioned before about your Ishling guards. So all of a sudden they've gone from a four up down to a three up or your heroes are gone for example volturnus or the achillean king have gone from a three up down to a two up so getting that benefit of cover the whole round whether it's in your opponent's turn or whether it's in your turn you've got the benefit of cover which just makes your first turn a very strong turn to be quite you know aggressive because you have that safety net that i will have as long as i don't charge i will have that um cover as in that cover bonus so it just means that you're essentially neutering minus one ran or you know you're not going to take as much damage from shooting because you're just ne you're just reducing you know the amount of ren people are suffering. And therefore, it just over over the, over the amount of a game it really starts to add up because you're not got a lot of models in your army, so you got to make every you know every unit count. And these don't rules don't stack, do they? So it's not like when it gets to no. round two, I'm going to get round one and round two benefits. It's almost like round one's done, so I now look at round two's rules, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. So each each round has its own rule. So round two, you get to run and charge. And this is like kind of like your prep round for the uh, the big round, which is like kind of like what everyone refers to as your win condition. So I guess we'll go to round three first, which is when you get to fight first or at the start of combat before anybody else resolves their combat, which just means that all my units get to whack you before you get to whack me. And being on round two, I get to run and charge. It allows me to set that up for that round three. So I can get where I want to be or I can you know get to the heroes if they're going to buff me because I have the ability to run and charge, or I can quickly kill a unit that's, you know, potentially going to tie me up in combat for round three, and then I'm ready for round three, because in a lot of games, that will be your win condition, is, all right, I'm fighting first, let's go. Is that also a trap? Is that also, like, you know, as an opponent, right, I look at this table and I go, ooh, he's clearly trying to set up for a round three, you know, always fight first for his entire army. So he's basically trying to set up, you know, that that basically that combat. Is that also a trap to fall into? Like, do you find that you try to set yourself up for a charge in turn one or turn two? Or are you always going for that turn three charge to take advantage of the high tide? Uh, no, definitely a big, big trap. So I think one thing as an IDK player, you really got to understand your battle, like the missions, how you score, when you score, how many points you score per turn. Because sometimes you simply can't wait for turn three. Like Blood and Glory, the game's over on turn three in some cases. So you have mm -hmm. to be aggressive early. Uh, places of arcane power you can be over on turn three again so it's it's a big trap to fall into because you're not going to guarantee that roll off to win turn three so it's, sometimes it's yeah you got to you know think about your mission think about what you need to achieve before that turn three and if you can achieve it so knowing your missions is probably the biggest thing as an idk knowing how many points can i turn, score between turn four and five and will i win yeah, I, I imagine that, you know, if I pick this up, this book up for the first time, I'm thinking to myself, I'm building around a turn three strategy of the high tide and everything I'm going to try to do is try to set myself up so I get into combat in turn three 
Um, and, you know, very much you can almost be like very tunnel vision and not take advantage of the scenario, not take advantage of, you know, really setting ourselves up for success. In, you know, so basically that's what I wanted to call out was that turn yeah. three isn't always the time you want to charge. Don't fall into no. that trap. Never fall into that trap. It's, yeah, it's probably the easiest trap to fall into. And at the same time, I think being if when you play like an, an eel list, for example, falling into that turn one alpha is a big trap as well because, you yeah. know, being patient can be very hard. And also, obviously, you know, waiting too long can be also bad as well. So you just got to pick what your army is, pick your battles wisely, and that's all comes again down to your missions. Yeah, this is this this army is definitely uh, attacking your opponent with a surgical knife that that's got a very sharp blade. So again, it's not like an Iron Jaws army that's going to run up and try to smash you in the face with a sledgehammer. You've really got to you know you've really got to pick your battles. Um, yeah, and and I and I have seen people who have been probably too aggressive. Um, and it's really backfired, especially if they've been double turned. So, you know, do choose your battle wisely. Don't fall into the trap of just solely focusing on your tide of death. 100%. And even in some games, you've got to, I guess, realize that even if you do get to fight first on turn three, do you have the damage? Like, I know people talk about IDK having a lot of damage when we talk about all the buffs and all that, but sometimes it may not be possible. Like, I think my first game of CanCon, I came to the uh, consensus that I wasn't going to kill 15 Chaos Knights, three up, three rolling, set all their saves and all that. Like, doesn't matter how many bonuses to attacks I had, I was going to kill myself first before they killed me. So mm. we're realizing that, you know, you're not going to win every fight as well is important. So you got to go out, got to go out a different way. Yeah. Good shout. Good shout. Um, is this, so this order of sequence, right? Low tide, uh, flood tide, high tide. Is this always the sequence that you're going to follow? Like turn one is always, you know, the low tide. Yeah, it's not always. So depending on the heroes that you take again, so you can what's called flip the tide, which just means that so instead of starting from round one, it's essentially you're starting from round four. And then you're going down to round three, down to round two, down to round one. And there are other ways again to like change, for example, that you don't may not benefit from one round one at all. Round one may just be round two. So you just go round two, round three, round four, round two, round three, round four, or something along those lines. So there are ways to change how the tides work, and there are ways to flip that tide as well. Yeah, I wanted to call that out. So, yeah. so there is a way to reverse this tide. So if you are trying to get, you know, a very aggressive combat eel list, uh, people do like to flip the tide so you can kind of go for that alpha strike on that very much uh, turn two charge by flipping the tide. But, again, uh, the point I wanted to call out here is you can manipulate the order of sequence here. You don't always have to set up for this turn three charge with high tide. No. And I think that's one thing that separates, you know, even though you see a whole bunch of eel players, they're not always the same. Like you'll see that one one player will be like, oh, I'm waiting for turn three. And then you go to the next game thinking, oh, I'm waiting for, he's waiting for turn three. And all of a sudden it's turn two. Oh, what? He's fighting first. Like yeah. not every list will be the same. It's something to watch out for is look for those key heroes. Are they the general? Are they allowing him to flip the tires or, you know, change it up a little bit? So if you are listening to this and you're not a deep kin player, that might be something you want to ask your opponent is, can you flip the tide? Uh, is this, you know, or is this order of sequence always going to be true? Um, because that will be the difference between maybe giving away second turn or, or you know, the way you might play the game. Other than the anything, anything else you want to add to the tide of death, or do you want to talk a little bit about the enclaves? Um, I think there's one other little small part of the allegiance ability. It's like the Isharan rituals, is it? Mm. But, uh, uh, I think it might be further down. 
uh, might not might not be on this page. This is this is not. I, I've just taken some photos oh, of my. Uh, yeah, this is, I've just taken some photos of my battle tome. It's Perfect. not actually. Well, really yeah. quickly, I'm pretty sure like you know, they may. I think they're mentioned in the allegiance part, but the Ishran rituals are just the three pairs that IDK get um, available. I think it's one of the most underrated parts of IDK, and in some games can be super powerful. So it's like making a casting roll. It's a two d six roll. It goes off with a ten. You can get bonuses to it. So if you have a gloom, if your hero is a priest, he gets plus one. If he's within a range of a uh, gloom tide, he gets plus one again. You can get plus one for other heroes being nearby, and again priests again. But their effects are the big ones that you want to take away. Is the fact that I can take away there's, your army. There's the one that I hate the most. It always kind of like ruins my Christmas. Is the ritual of the tempest, which is until the next hero phase, enemy models can't fly. It makes me so cry powerful. so much. Yeah. Makes my little terror guys walk along the table or my dragon. This is so so shameful, um, and it makes me cry. And there's nothing I can do about it. I can't unbind it because it's a bloody prayer. Yeah, and especially like when you go right, those eels are coming for me. I've set up my nice screen. My terror guys is behind those units, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, my terror guys can't jump my screen anymore because he doesn't fly, and I've got this big nice long line of um, ghouls, and all of a sudden yeah. Yeah, the eels can still jump you. Very powerful. And then, again, that just allows you to stall a turn because you say, all right, that's one turn wasted. Turn three is around the corner. Yeah, yeah, no. Great great shout-out. So then, so not only do you have a spell law, not only do you have artifacts, you've got this thing called an enclave as well. So much like most, if not all, of the battle tomes, there are these sub-allegiances that have been a ways to customise your force even more. And the one that you've chosen, the list that we're going to explore, is, in fact, Dom Hain. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd get you to explain a little bit about why you choose Dom Hain over the other enclaves. Uh, what does it bring to the table? And for anyone who's watching us here live, uh, you can see the rules on the table or clearly see it in your battle tome. Yeah, so I guess a lot of the units do have some inbuilt rerollability, but generally there are no rerolls to wounds unless you take like an idol on the storm. But regardless, there is very limited rerolls for wounds. And I guess as the meta was um, evolving a little while ago, you were having things like a whole bunch of Keeper of Secrets pop up, the Gash pop up, um, Big Wild was popping up with their more crushes, Terror Geist. Like, basically, it was a bit of a monster meta was coming around a little bit, or these key units were monsters. And what um, Duhan allows you to do is to reroll all your fail wounds against monsters, which, you know, when you're punching with, like, I don't know, a million attacks, the ability to reroll your wounds is quite powerful, considering that um, there aren't many debuffs for wounds out there, except for maybe Legions of the Gash. And if one or two spells here and there so the ability just to again secure all those wounds because that's how you're going to do your damage just makes it very powerful and the fact that, again if you charge you get to reroll your ones so you don't have to rely on Volturnus to get your reroll ones which just makes it a lot more powerful and they're the two key things to take away from it. it's not really the uh, battalion it's not that exciting it doesn't really do too much because you have to bring a turtle which uh doesn't really work too well that's all right but um it's the ability to, yeah, reroll ones to hit when you charge and the ability to reroll your wounds against monsters, especially to take out, like, I don't know, a rogue idol is huge, especially with just three eels. Yeah, it's a, it's a good little ability, um, what Dom Hain gives you. Um, if you were going to choose Dom Hain, and, and one thing we're going to do next up is going to go through some of your lists, but before we get to that point, if you were going to choose Dom Hain, are there any other ones that you would say that are maybe next in line for you? Uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know if I can ever pronounce it, like Thuhan. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Which, yep. Yep, which is the one that uh, allows your mounts to reroll wounds of one. And again, the ability to reroll wounds is fantastic because you get the natural reroll ones to hit from Volturnus or your Achillean King. But it also allows you to, again, change the tide, which we talked about before, which transforms your uh, 
your retreat and tra- retreat and charge or your run or your cover I can't quite remember into run and charge which just means if you flip the tide you're uh running and charging running and charging turn one and then you're fighting yeah. first so it's just which is crazy cool handy. right like if you think about your army right because you know um you basically got this high movement that you can, you know, really take take advantage of the board. You can put some stuff on the side of the board as well and come in when you need them to come out. But then also you're going to be able to flip the tide and essentially uh, come in and wreck face in turn two. So, hundred cents. It is terrifying just realizing that you know, like trying to think, oh, I'll just backboard. But then you realize those eels are moving twenty and still charging. Going, yeah. Where do I hide? Where do I go? <laughs> And it's, and it's really crazy. I know um, I, I've had a lot of success against I'm the Deepkin of late um, with my Grots. Um, and and the, one of the reasons with my Grots I've had a lot of success is that I've got 100 to 140 Groblins, cheap bodies on the board. But that's unusual. Outside of the likes of Grots and Skaven, even things like Cities of Sigma aren't going for, like, uh, you know, a, a heavy free guild guard or, you know, flagellants on the table. Most people are going for elite things like Phoenix Guard. Um, a lot of armies are going into those multi-wound, um, larger bases. So the challenge is screening off all of the of the board, you know, trying to protect some of these juicy stuff. Um, it's very difficult. It's very difficult for opponents. So I think taking, you know, taking advantage of that with your high movement, being able to run and charge, being able to then fight first um, is a scary prospect. Very, very terrifying. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, leads to so much success in the IDK army is that, again, reliability, it always comes down to to say that I will get to where I want to get to every turn. Where, wherever you hide, I'll get there. And shout out as well. Adam Huey um, has mentioned a good comment as well. Uh, I have seen a couple of Deepkin players bringing in our good friend Gotrek uh, into a Deepkin list, and that is a friggin' scary prospect too. 100%. The only... The only problem i always see with the go trek is that you can't take volturnus because it's a command trait the uh iron mm. rack um enclave which just means obviously volturnus being a named hero means he doesn't get command traits so you'd have to take an achilles king it's not that bad but the fact that go trek gets to run and charge fight first is obviously a terrifying thought and nothing's going to survive that so 100 percent agree with that yeah yeah it's pretty scary it's 500 odd, 500 odd points but uh it does show you some oh. versatility around well spent <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 500 points well spent. It's almost like, do I ignore Gotrek and go for your eels? Do I go for the eel? So do I do I ignore the eels and go for Gotrek? It's a very it's a very difficult task um, to handle. But again, it's just like one of many builds, right? Hundred um, percent, yeah. And that, and that's the cool thing is you know um, you know whether you go eels uh, if you like like Ben Spinetti who you would recognise from the faction focus uh, Idna Deepkin a lover of sharks also very successful with sharks just because we're talking about eels doesn't mean that uh, the sharks and the turtles don't aren't as good or don't have a place in the army. I think it's yeah sharks and eels are very close when you I think when you look at it it's just what slightly edges ahead. It's probably the eels, and that's why they get more play. That doesn't mean that, you know, a couple of points here, a couple of points here in the general, General's Handbook 2020 might see sharks just creep ahead, and then there's a big shift in the meta that all of a sudden, you know, there's a whole bunch of shark boys out there rather than eel well, boys. Well, in the last in the last um, General's Handbook, we did see a points reduction on sharks, and we did see a points increase in eels. So uh, it did make it a little bit more viable to take the alapexes, but... Again, who knows what's coming in the future? Uh, maybe sharks is the new meta, as Ben Spinetti would say. He will say that definitely. <laughs> uh, he, he he was already in a chat before this video started asking about shark meta, and he wanted to know if he had a jingle. 
Um, <laughs> he uh, he had this weird jingle about uh, Ben and Ken, the Fishman. Uh, he like literally sang it. Uh, so if you go go watch that uh, faction focus if you want to hear Ben Spinetti sing the song. Um, but this is not the Ben Spinetti show. This is the Hayden Ford show. And um, I do like the sound of the Ben Spinetti show though. It sounds very nice. It's got a good ring it, to it. It was good. It was good. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll combine forces one day and we'll have the Ben and Hayden show. But on the on the screen here, uh, we do have one of your lists. This is the list that did come fourteenth uh, at CanCon, uh, so only a few months ago. Uh, so this is quite fresh. Um, and I'm going to go through a little bit about the list and, and try to get an understanding of why you do what you do. And then let's look at some of the, the variants as well, given that we do have new armies in the meta. We've got things like the, the Lumineth coming, Gargant's coming. Uh, you know, we've got Seraphon kind of dominating on uh, Tabletop Simulator. So, you know, how would these lists kind of evolve over the last couple of months? So to kick us, kick us off, we are Eidneth Deepkin, we are Domhain. You've got three leaders here. One is Volturnus, who's your general. We've got a Soul Scryer and we've got a Soul Scryer. Uh, one of those Soul Scryers has the Cloud of Midnight. So let's start from the top. Why Volturnus? And um, this is a great question because a lot of people ask about the King versus Volturnus. So why Volturnus? What does he bring to the table that the Alarian King doesn't? Um, yep. Pretty sure I, I mispronounced his name, but I don't care. I forgot already. Um, Volturnus, talk to me. Why him? Right, so why, 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 why the general? So Volturnus and the Achillean King all link back to the, uh, the the tide, so your allegiance ability. So he has the ability on the high tide, which is round three, the fight first before anybody else, to give three units an additional one attack for a, a command point. And you can obviously spend multiple command points, so it's not just, you know, only three units. You can spend four command points and give each time three units an additional attack, and that's to all melee weapons on their profile. So it's not just one weapon, it's... They've got essentially three weapons, bites, tails, and their spears, or swords if you take an Ishland, but each one of those gets an additional attack. And what Volturnus really allows your army to do is allows it turns three eels. It allows them to be like force multipliers. So three eels after two command points turn into six eels. After, uh, say, four command points, three eels turn into nine eels, or six turn into 18. So it's this little very, very powerful force multiplier that turns this little tiny footprint of like three models into the, essentially having nine eels on the board which is obviously a much bigger footprint so you get they all get into combat they all get to attack they all get to you know the max benefit of what nine eels would do but with yeah. very little cost in return and that's why Volturnus is very strong but obviously another thing is that Volturnus has a three plus immunity to magic so as OBR or Nagash has become to the front or as Seraphon and Zench are all coming up to you know to a meta where magic is very heavy having that three plus compared to no three plus is extremely powerful as well. It just means that you're more likely to see Volturnus get to round three than an Achillean King. So two questions I've got here. One's coming from the chat. I'll ask my question first because I'm the host. Flip, flip, flip the leader. So when would you take the Achillean King instead of Volturnus? Uh, I think, well, that's a good question. I think I probably would never take the Achillean King over Volturnus. Maybe if I needed to get some form of artifact on the King and I wanted to just use him as bait with the uh, Midnight Orb. So, you know, send him up the board, bait him in, then activate the orb so they waste a turn trying to kill the King. Um, but I'd probably, if I were not to take Volturnus, I'd probably take the, um, the Tidecaster instead. So I have the ability to flip the Tide, which is what we talked about before. Just because, yeah. again, fighting on turn two, I think, would be much more powerful than having an extra attack here and there on turn three. Because, you know, you're just, again, activating your win condition one turn earlier rather than, I guess, a turn later. 
And the reason I ask is I have seen a lot of discussion. A few people have asked me as well, um, you know, what would they take Volturnus or the Achillean King? Um, and obviously there's like a 20 points difference and one's a bit more customizable with a command trait and an artifact. Yeah. Uh, and obviously one comes in with it, with its own benefits. Um, I think it's almost like season to, season to, cho to choice, but you're saying uh, Volturnus is, is your preferred over the generic yeah. king. Yeah, but that's not to say that you couldn't take Volturnus and the Achillean King. I talked to Sam Smorgan about this a lot, Mr. Smorgan, uh, about bringing both. Yeah. yeah, never heard of him. Right? Just some guy in Melbourne. Just some and, guy. Uh, He's got some broken, um, uh, what is it, Knight Azir, who just never dies. I sent nine, nine eels into a Knight Azir, didn't kill it. That's with the mortal winds and everything. It was a horrible day. But um, he talked about, yeah, bringing in uh, Volturnus and the Achillean King so that, again, you have that safety net. Because the Achillean King does hit pretty hard with a good mm. artifact here and there. He does, it's not like he's a wet noodle. He does hit hard. He has the ability to buff units, so if Volturnus does die, at least you're still getting some um, benefit out of the uh, turn three command point, and he does still give the same similar buffs that Volturnus gives to your units, so the extra bravery, the reroll ones to hit in the combat. So it's just like obviously a lesser version, but you could bring both, and that just means you're securing the likability of um, having on turn three you know, those extra attacks again. But obviously it has to be the general, so you couldn't, which is a downside, but I guess maybe... You know, if you wanted to bring Volturnus, you could, if the opponent doesn't know that, you know, it's a little bit here and there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other question I've got before we talk about the Soul Scryer is uh, coming from the chat, and they've asked, in what phase do you activate the command ability for Volturnus or the King? Um, and I'm looking at the wording. It is a little bit vague here. It doesn't actually say in your hero phase. It is in your hero phase. So the start of your hero phase, or in your hero phase, I should say. So at the start of turn three is when you activate it. So in your hero phase, your turn three is when you use it. So if you lose the roll-off, you have to wait till your turn, essentially, you know, the bottom of N3, the turn three, then you can use it. But it does hang around to your next um, hero phase. So, for example, you still get to keep that benefit if you lose the turn four roll-off and they decide to go first. So, again, you still have those all those extra attacks in turn four and all until your next hero phase. Yeah, I can see the wording does say at the end uh, the benefits basically last until your next hero phase, but it's not very clear at the start to say when you activate the command ability. So yeah, um, I think in like the general rules, if it doesn't specifically say, I think it, it's meant to be done in your hero phase. So yeah, I, but that's how I've always played it. It's in the hero phase, your hero phase. Of um, one final question that's just come up from Michael Clark, who uh, who initially said he wanted to troll you. The second part is probably, probably it's probably a good question, and that's around redundancy. And you know, like you know, is there is there value of redundancy by having both the Volturnus and a King, or do you think like for the average player, you just choose one? I think it again come down to missions. So if you're yeah. playing places of arcane power where you need a hero, then the redundancy is less, but again, if, if it were there's no hero, um, no hero pack, I probably wouldn't take an Achilling King. It's just the opportunity to have that hero piece on the board for if you really need to save a unit from running, or that again that twelve inch bubble to reroll ones. It's yeah, they the Killing King is about effective as three eels in turn three, so you know he hits just as hard. He always has the neg two rend, but obviously the more and more force multiplies with the CP come out, then obviously those three eels just pull ahead. So again, only if it was like a hero pack mission, I would take an Achilling King or potentially, I suppose. 
Yeah, and Smorgan's also pulled out that uh, the Achillean King has Ren 2, which Volturnus only has Ren 1, so that might be another yeah. good shout That's That's another good shout-out that you want a bit more high rend, especially if you're dealing with things like Mortec Guard or Phoenix Guard or things with higher armor saves. Uh, a Ren 2 might be nice to have. 100%, and the fact that uh, it's a flat 3 damage when he charges compared to Volturnus always being D3. Yeah, plus you can obviously got artifacts you can put on them and things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably, probably again, uh, this is probably worth calling out here, guys, is that um, Hayden's list isn't the only list. This is not a silver bullet that's going to make you the world's best player. Uh, this is just one variance and kind of putting the methodology of the strengths into a, an, into a list. And that's why I asked the question, you know, what the difference was between Volturnus versus a generic king. You know, and I'm going to ask a bit more about, you know, the combination of the, the eels and different things like that. So uh, take this with a grain of salt. Find find the list that you really enjoy. If you really love Alapexes or Reavers, do what you love to do. Um, but ultimately, you know, we're just kind of showing you the, the way we put this together in a very competitive sense. Exactly. Next two heroes you've got is, uh, I guess, again, you've got two uh, soul, soul Scryers. So I guess the question is, one, why do you have two? Why haven't you got something different? Um, why the Cloud of Midnight? Um, and when they're on the table, do you have a strategy on on how you use a Cloud of Midnight versus the one without Cloud of Midnight? Yeah, I definitely uh, have a strategy. So I guess I took two um, really because, again, when I looked at the Pancom uh, pack, we had places of arcane power. So obviously you want Volturnus to be alive on turn three. That's kind of like your... The, the key piece in your army. So if you're not on a an objective and Volturnus is trying to be all nice and safe, you're not scoring points, you're going to lose the game. So you need an extra hero here and there. I chose to take another additional Soul Scryer because I liked the uh, the rules that came with it, which was the null deployment. So Soul Scryer is able to go off the board into reserves and take two units with it. And I think that's very powerful in the fact that it's information. It's to say, I have three nothing drops. What are you dropping? Tell me what you're doing. Yeah. Like I get to watch it unfold. So and that's like, so times two, that means that six drops before I have to tell you my plan. And by usually most cases, most armies nowadays are around about eight drops maximum. That's without, you know, um, without making the benefit of their battalions. That means I've got two drops I have to do, and then you're fully dropped. And I can work around that quite easily. Yeah, no, it's a good call. And you do see variants of lists like this. You know, you'll take the type caster, but that's going to force you to be the general to flip the type. But yeah. um, I, li I like the reason why you've got two, two Soul Scryers. And the Cloud of Midnight is just an awesome artifact. Um, it's hard so to powerful. not take it. It's, it's hard not yeah, to take yeah. that. Definitely. I think like the Cloud of Midnight... And that's obviously coming... Go for it. Go on. No, please. I was going to say... Uh, so the Cloud of Midnight, you know, on a Soul Scryer, because the Soul Scryers benefit from their own buff, which is the plus three charge. And being able to, like, you know, you send in all your eels and then a Soul Scryer follows in behind, it's just a hero. No one really cares about that five wound hero. But the fact that he has made a charge means he's eligible for a three-inch piling. So nine times out of ten of my games, I would uh, pile one of my eels into range of another unit. Let's just say, I don't know, a huge, uh, a deadly Maw Crusher, for example. That Maw Crusher would pile in, smash up my eels, and then I would just pile in my Soul Scryer just into combat with him. And then all of a sudden now he's in combat with my uh, Soul Scryer. The next round would come around. I'd activate my Midnight Orb. That's two rounds that more Crusher did nothing. I've essentially mm -hmm. kind of shut him down because I've just piled just within range of him. And I think that's, you know, taking the more Crusher out of two combats is huge. Yeah, so he has to massive. wait an additional time before he can kill it or retreat. Huge, huge. Um... And there's a lot of cool benefits coming from a more crush, especially when it starts killing things. So you want to be able to, you know, 
you want to take that down ASAP. Um, and it's nice that you've got a whole bunch of eels that can kind of shock that more crush off the board, which leads us to all of the eels. So uh, do the maths here, guys. You've got uh, two units of three Ishlan Guard. You've got a unit of six Morsar Guard. Uh, one, two, three, four units of three Morsar Guard. So is that 27? It's 24 in total. I think it's 18 Tw Morsar and six uh, Ishlan. All right, someone in the chat was saying 27, 27, um, and it's too late for me to do maths. So rewind it. There's 20, 24 eels in this list. There's also a unit of 10 Shadow Warriors that we'll come to in a minute. But I guess I want to kind of understand a little bit about the methodology. So why do you choose Ishlan over Morsa? Why do you go units of three versus unit of six? Uh, why don't you go all Morsa or all Ishlan? Um I guess, you know, like talk to me through the thinking process of, of the Ishlan versus the Morsar and the unit size of three versus six. They can go higher than six as well, right? So, like, what's the what's all the thinking behind it all? Yeah, yeah I think so, it's 12. Yeah, I think when it very first came out, I remember something running 12 at me and I cried. Uh, <laughs> but but there's a lot of points in one unit and uh, that can go bad when you tie them up with, like, some cheap bodies. Yeah, well, I guess step number one when I think about um, what my Morsar do is that the force multiplies again. So that means that on that turn three, three eels turn into six, six eels turn into, you know, 12 or 18. And so I, I don't need, you know, a unit of 12 eels on the board because I don't need 36 eels, you know, in a unit because that's just redundancy like Michael Clark mentioned before. Like it just becomes ineffective in a way that I've got too much damage on the board. And again, they take up a massive footprint. And Morsar have this ability that when they charge, they get negative two Ren and they get two damage. So you don't want them to be in combat. You don't want them to be, you know, chipped. You don't want them to be just pulled into combat because they lose all their benefits and they have to obviously retreat. Especially on turn three, that's a big disaster for your army because you just lost, you know, your big punch, your big bang, your big, you know, win condition, I suppose. So having these little small units means I can separate them out. They can be all over the board. And you can't tie them all off, but they can obviously get into you and make those charges. So that's obviously why you have all the small units. And that one unit of six is just there to secure what it needs to kill. If I need to kill a tear guys, they're going to get the job done. If I need to kill, well, probably not the Gash and OBR, but maybe a more Crusher, for example, they're going to get the job done on that more Crusher. And that's what they're there to do. It's just to you know kill what needs to be killed if on that turn three. The other the other units are there just to kind of like nip away at my enemy, you know, from the sides from the front, just be a nuisance basically. And then obviously prepare myself for turn three where I have my big, you know, my big show. And my thought with the Ishlin was that I need Voltanus to be alive on turn three. You know, that's what I'm playing for. That's what I'm, I essentially built my army around. So I need to protect him. So having these, you know, unrendable guards essentially surround him. So he can't be shot because of my Forgotten Nightmare um, allegiance ability. So they can only shoot them. And he also has, obviously, the lookouts there, et cetera. And obviously, they act as a physical screen as well. So they can't, obviously, charge him. So they're just this little, you know, 140 points times two that I don't care if they die as long as Voltanus is alive on turn three. Yeah. And then, look, you know, uh, so basically for a newer player who's looking at this or maybe they, they don't quite understand that the eel kind of, um, you know, I was going to say methodology. It's not even a methodology. You're looking at Ishlan Guard, and essentially they are a defensive style uh, unit and and you know when you're looking at the characteristics you know um they basically ignore rain that's one of the big things that they're going to bring to the table so uh they, they're great to soak up damage and they're harder to kill um especially when there's a lot of rend one rend two throwing around the fact that you can ignore rend is beautiful but then you've got your more side guard sorry it's also on. the fact that you can 
throw them into like neg three rend as well and being like they're going to survive a turn or two so again if you're in combat with my Ishulin, you're not in combat with my morsa you're not in combat with volturnus so again i'm ticking away those turns for turn three and that's what they're there to do it's just a waste time they're a big shield. They're a big shield yep. for things like Volturnus and your Soul Scryers and or even just tying up the uh again they've got fast movement, so you can tie up one of the, the your opponent's hard hitting um units with something that's just gonna take longer to kill because then they're, they're um not affected by rend. Yeah, exactly. And then again, if it takes longer to kill, that's better for me. Then you've got your attacking eels, which is your Morsars, and um, they obviously do really good stuff. You mentioned the, the high rend, the damage um, output on the charge, but also yeah. the thing that you know people really love is that once per game little zap, where basically uh, that and, I, I, and, and what I had forgotten about, because it's been a while since I played Deepkin until the other week, I had forgotten that I, I, I was thinking that I had they had to charge me to do the zaps, but no, if I charge them, they can still do the zap, and I'm like, and I'm like, oh crap! And then my colossal squid took nine model wins from a zap because my colossal. I'm like, oh, I'm going to counter it. I'm going to charge my colossal into them, and uh, then I remembered, like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. And it's all kinds of little things, like the fact that it's done at the start of the combat phase. So yeah. a handy thing I did at Cancon was like maybe turn three, I'd send in my Morsa and I'd use all of my attacks. And if I didn't quite kill it, then I would zap because in yeah. case I, you know, overkilled. You can always, you don't always have to use your zap first because obviously it's the choice, my order of activation in terms of if I fight first, then zap. So you can always like kind of save your zaps or you can like, you know, it's not always you have to zap every turn that you're in combat. You can hang on to it, you can wait. It's a very, very handy little thing to say. I guess I was playing against more orders the other day. You know, they get neg one rend above 20. I just zapped into 19 and the rend just went away. But that's, yeah. you know, that's super handy. It can, be, it can be really helpful as well for the order of activation. You can zap, and then once you've neutered it, literally what Hayden just said, you've neutered the um, the Marauders by, by removing the rend. You're like, cool, I can kind of leave them a little bit more safe now. I'm going to move to something else. So Exactly. You can uh, choose somewhere else that's more pressing. Yeah, you know, bring bring to a behemoth. I mean, for a Colossal Squeak, for example, my scenario that I played with Rocco the other day, um, he zapped me for nine mortal wounds, so all of a sudden my behemoth profile went to well over half. Um, I'm lucky the Colossal Squeak has 16 wounds, but essentially, like, the, the damage output now from an unwounded versus a semi-wounded uh, is quite massive. So uh, that allows you to then go, you know, start the activation in other areas of the battlefield. Yeah, you get to bring your attention to someone that might be more pressing. And it's, it's a good way to bait your opponent, I suppose, as well, to say, you know, look, my eels are exposed, depending on which unit they're coming up again, and then you charge them, and then they say, and you just tip the scales to say, all right, now you've got no rend or you've gone down a profile. I'm a lot more comfortable with, like, you yeah. know, to go over here instead. Um, do you see a world where, or, like, you know, if we, if you were going to tweak this list and maybe someone didn't want to have as many eels on the table, um, how would you build a list like this without as many eels? Would you go Alapexes? Would you bring a shark in? Would you bring in more characters? Would you put, like, an Eidolon in? Like, how, how could you build a variant to this? I think I'd, I'd definitely bring in like a uh, uh, very similar to Ben Spinetti's, like the uh, the four shark list. Like he has four sharks in the units. I think it was two units of four or something like that. And I think that would be the alternative I would take to maybe Morsa, like maybe a unit of six Morsa, two units of uh, four of al Alapexes. And I might even throw in the, um, I think in some cases, the, uh, what is it, the Nomadi Corps um, Battalion just to reduce my drops or get an extra artifact and command point because it's not like we don't have anything to use our command points on because obviously that turn three with all those extra attacks, each command point, you know, adds up. 
Yeah. You got Shadow Warriors. You got 10. Sh- Sorry, and before we get into the, the Shadow Warriors, is there anything else you want to add to the eel discussion? I mean, it's pretty it's pretty evident why they're in the list. Uh, they got high movement. They got lots of wounds. They do a lot of damage or they can soak up a lot of damage. Um, they can manipulate the board. The fact that they fly means they're, they're brilliant to jump over screens and kind of get, in, you know, zap or do damage to that juicy center that so many armies are going to have. Um, anything else you'd add to the eel discussion? I think the only last little bit is the fact, again, that reliability to say that they get the free reroll the charge. They have the reroll to reroll battle shocks. Again, it's just like, again, more reliability that I don't have to, again, I guess for sharks, for example, I have to allocate a wound to a unit to get that reroll. Where eels, I just say, turn one, I can reroll for free. And I don't have to worry about, again, that command point or I can save it for, again, that turn three or anything else. Yeah. I find the zap as well as a great deterrent is that people try to actively avoid the eels. Um, when you have a, an army list like this, you just can't avoid it and you just have to accept it. But if you were going to reduce your eel count and bring something else to the table, uh, people will likely try to avoid the eels uh, until you're able to uh, get that zap out. Yeah, I think one thing, it depends on how many eels. Like if it was nine eels, I'd probably try and stay away. But I think one thing is six eels, three zaps is on average like five or something mortal wounds or something like that if you yeah. can take that hit you've taken away their charge bonus and i think that's more scary to have that negative two run that two damage so sometimes it's worth just charging in into them and saying all right i'm gonna you know lose a whole bunch of models but you know later on i've just saved myself 10 models or whatever it may be because they're not charging me in return so basically so you, do a model wound on, you do a model wound on a three plus on a six plus you do d3 model wounds so yeah um, you could roll hard and get a whole bunch of sixes, or you could roll a whole bunch of ones and twos. So it goes either way. And sometimes you just got to think, all right, that charge is a little bit more consistent. That damage is a little bit more consistent. There is more of it. So you don't have a battalion, so you've bought yourself a command point and got to keep that up your sleeve. I think it's pretty obvious why you've got that, whether it's reroll charges, reroll hits, uh, the whole bunch of rerolls that you want to you know, activate your command ability. But talk to me about the Shadow Warriors. You've got 10 Shadow Warriors are being allied in. Um, yeah. Um, well, obviously, after Cities came out, Shadow Warriors had a bit of a change to them, and um, they get the null deployment as well. So basically, they're off the board, which just means that six drops off the board turned into seven drops off the board, which means my first drop was usually my opponent's last drop again. So it's very frazzling, I feel, when you go to a board, you're putting down all your models, and you realize your opponent hasn't done anything. You go, all right, where do I put this? And then all of a sudden, you've just made a whole mess of your deployment because you don't know where their key pieces are. You know that they can come off the board. You know they've got these bonuses to charge. And then they have these Shadow Warriors, which can pick off your heroes because they get plus one to hit and win when they're in cover. But they can also steal your objectives as well because they can you know, deploy anywhere on the field. It's just yeah. a very, very, I guess, A, the null deployment is very powerful. The pick-off ability is very powerful, and the ability just to steal objectives is powerful. So they're just, for what they bring, they're so good. And the psychology as well is, is just knowing that some at some point between round one to round four, you're going to drop something outside of nine inches, and you either want to protect an objective, or if someone moves off their objective, you can score it. Or, you know, if someone moves the character away from their unit and, you know, you can ignore Lookout Sir, you might be able to snipe that hero while they're vulnerable. Or even just generally harass something while uh, a force is moving this way, you know, you might steal the side this way and then you're kind of splitting them up uh, on, on how they use the table or kind of split their focus. So um, for 110 points, they're, they're cheapest chips. Especially the fact that Morsa are coming off the board. Like you're just thinking when you're playing that game, all right, where are the eels? They're off the board. All right, all the eels are now on the board. I'm fine. 
and you tend to forget about those 10 shadow warriors you know in my back pocket waiting to come on again between that turn one and four because you're just so focused on those all those eels that are off the board that are going to come on at some time maybe what turn one maybe turn two before i go into your next list maybe we'll acknowledge that point so if i was learning about this tactic about taking eels off the side of the board um what is your average combination when you take things off the board like are you taking units of three you're taking that big unit of six like what's your your logic your thinking process your average starting point uh well with my list the list i took to cancon i always took the units of three off first just knowing that again I guess three out of my four drops off the board will be units of three. They have to be. I only have to decide whether or not that sixth unit or the unit of six would be my last choice, whether I want it on the board or off the board. And again, it's just to see how the deployment played out. If he left a, a big open gap for me for six eels to jump in there and do some nasty work, then they would go off the board. If there was like, you know, they screened the backs too much and they left a big open gap at the front, they'd be on the board. So it's just, again, that luxury of just saying, all right, what's going to, you know, five or six drops later or seven drops later now i have to decide what they're going to do so it all depends on you know how my opponent's deployed whether they've left a big gap for six eels or whether or not i have to go another way around it but generally they would be i'd be thinking about where could those six eels get into hypothetically if i was to change your list and let's say you only had one soul scribe let's say we might we had a tide caster in there um yep. so let's say let's imagine we just had one change which is you know one less soul scryer what would be your ideal combination off the table if you only yeah. had one Soul Scryer? One Soul Scryer, ideal combination. I think it'd be six and three, like six and three always. I think the six would probably always go off just combat. because it's such a big uh, Yeah, the combat. So the unit of six eels, combat eels, Morsa off the board with the unit of three Morsa off the board. Cool. So you wouldn't you wouldn't take the Ishalan off on the side of the board. You're always looking for the combat ones. Yeah, because obviously we want them to be in combat and we want my Ishland to defend what's on the board. So if I had like a tie caster, that's my general, or again, Voltanus, that's my general, they should be there to protect him. And, and the reason why I guess I'd never take Voltanus off the board is because I need Voltanus to be within like a certain position so I can activate my buffs in turn three. So obviously it's at the start of your hero phase. The CP works um, with units wholly within 18. So Voltanus can't just be, you know, within six of the board edge whilst the rest of your army is on the other side. So it's very important that Voltanus needs to be where he needs to be. And that's why he has his two floating guards, essentially, of Ishalan. Before I move on, one final question. People are throwing shade at you in the chat, but it's all your homies. Um, the, last right. question I, the last question I got for you, they were calling you an imposter. They're like, oh, where's the other Where's the other Hayden? <laughs> where's the other Hayden Gate and things like that? So uh, nice to see you here, William Knight. Thanks for the shout-out and the, um, the, the shade. Is there, a, is there a situation where you might bring the uh, Ishland guard off the board? Like, do you, do you see that world uh, maybe, you know, taking them off the board and trying to almost like neuter, you know, a hard-hitting opponent who's like a unit that's coming up the board, or is it always just the Morsar? Um, I think it's always just the Morsar in my head. Like, I don't think there would be a case where I take the Ishland. Like, the idea to neuter a big unit, it just thinks that my Ishlan should be able to get there regardless because, you know, they're moving 14 turn one or they're running and charging turn two. So they always will get where I want it to be. It's usually the fact that they're off the board is for protection rather than um, for aggression. It's to say, I can't be charged because I'm off the board, but when I'm on the board, I'll guarantee that charge. So again, I get my negative two render my two damage. No, that's fair. And, I, and again, I'm just asking the questions that some of the chat might be thinking. They're like, oh, well, yeah, you know, maybe I want... 
Yeah, yeah. So so I think what I'm hearing is, you know, you really want to build around the Morsar coming off the side of the board. You want to get those zaps in. You want to charge. You want to do that high range. You want to do that high damage. Um, but and again, it's not, the, it's not the only way to do it. Where are you versing Night Haunt, for example? They're unrendable, so maybe it's worth taking your Ishin off the board. Just be like, you know, they've got more attacks. They've got more weight of attacks. So against, you know, unrendable, maybe it's more worthwhile to take Ishin off the board. That would be the one scenario I see, or like an ethereal War Crush or Stone Haunt to say, I'll tie you up. I've got weight of attacks. I have no rend anyway, so I don't care about your ethereal. So that could be one possibility. I could see myself saying, yeah, maybe I take Ishin off the board for that specific Just scenario tie them into their deployment zone or tie them into their territory, stop them scoring, you know, especially with something that might have high rend, low uh, low volume of attacks. Uh, and because yeah. you're ignoring the rend, you know, you're just tying them up for one, two battle rounds. You know, they're, they're dirt cheap at 140-odd points and you're stopping them from scoring while you're setting up your Morsar and you're, and you're claiming uh, objectives. Yeah, exactly. I think that could be one possibility, yes. Cool. I mean, I think the point here is that, there, again, there's not one single list, there's not one single way to play, but, you know, based on what we're hearing so far, Morsar is the stronger choice, but not the only choice. Definitely not the only choice. I think, yeah, there's always a play IDK. I think, yeah, I guess when you're being nitpicky and trying to take the top, top list, then you'll probably lean more towards Eels. Another list you've said, yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about with that particular list or should we go into your other list and kind of show a different way of doing it? And I can see uh, we, we still have this big body of, of eels, but um, we've got a bit of a different combination when it comes to the leader choices. Yeah, uh, there's not much else to talk about except for the fact, again, when you think about your Ichilin that are off, I mean, so your Soul Scryers that are off the board, they do benefit from your Allegiance abilities. So that means they do have the Midnight, um, the Nightmare rule. They do have the Tide rule as well. So that, again, like what I talked about a little bit a while ago with that um, Midnight Cloud abilities, the fact that you can charge in the Soul Scryer, you can sacrifice it all you want just to say, he's going to charge in and he's going to, you know, for example, he may not be in combat, but then you have to shoot him next turn. And yeah, I've just lost a five wound hero, but he's already done his job. Like, there's always those little things that you can think about with your heroes as well. It's, you know, they do benefit from the allegiance and they don't need to stay alive. I think we always think about, I've got to keep my heroes alive, where once my soul scribes have done their job, they've done their job. And that's to get going to the charge. While Michael Clark has been trolling in the chat, I might actually call out, this is a quite a good question, and I'm not sure if you've had the opportunity to play New Seraphon yet, uh, but when I've been seeing them on the tabletop, especially on Tabletop Simulator right now, you know, the, what, what we're seeing right now from Seraphon is a very dominated uh, Lord Croak in a uh, Starborn uh, Allegiance with yep. lots of salamanders doing a lot of you know shooting and high rend attacks and michael's question which i think is an interesting one given that when we get back into the tournament scene um seraphon could be the new meta leader um how do you think you know idk's abilities to you know will, will work in regards to something like a seraphon you know from a from a null deployment point of view being able to kind of jump over screens being able to you know your ishalan guard might be able to soak up some of that salamander damage to get into maybe some of that lord croak uh, a bit easier than some other opponents given that they can fly and they've got high movement um have you given any of those thoughts in your current oh, list design yeah, so I think like a lot of my armies, like the one I think we're talking about next, I've given some consideration. I think the more troublesome army for IDK will be the Coalesque rather than the Starbot, because obviously they're reducing your damage by one. So those mm. damage two spears turn into one. Yeah, they're still neg two, but it's only one damage. I think, you know, the idea behind IDK against Starbot is I think if I get into a Starbot army, I will just mince it. And I guess the 
luxury of having the the uh, allegiance ability to soak up some of those shooting attacks. Because again, yes, they're doing mortals on a six or salamanders, but the neg two rend isn't that scary. You know, it's less scary. The Ishlan guys just laughing at it. They're just like, lol. Yeah, it's a three up. And I've got that command point up my sleeve in my uh, in one of my lists, well, the first list, so I can make them reroll saves of one. So it's like if they get a whole bunch of, well, if a big unit goes into it, I'll give them reroll saves of one before the uh, start of the shooting phase. So it's, you know, I have a much higher chance of surviving. And then if they've wasted their turn, then I'm just going to, again, those eels will come for them turn the next turn. And that's an opportunity where I guess you'd say that there might be a game where I don't have anything off the board. I just have everything ready to have that mm. counter whack that they're going to hit me with. Running up those Ishlan guard to take the first shots and then just yeah. go an absolute strike with the more SARS now that the yeah. Ishlan's kind of taking the, sal the salamander shots. Exactly, because, you know, they're going to mince those salamanders once they get in there. So this next this next list you've got again we've got Dom Hain, um we've got the Volturnus we're not going to talk about Volturnus we kind of know what that's going to do yeah. here we know the the force multiply when it comes to the the Morsar guard got the Soul Scryer Cloud of Midnight again taking some eels off the board happy days um, the big difference I'm seeing here though is the Knight Venator so that's something that we don't see very often we see things like the Knight of Xeros we see Knight Hereldors we see a whole bunch of you know the the, the Lord Arcanum or uh, the Knight Encantor, but the Venator, that's the shooting one? The shooting guy with the bow that never works, yeah. exactly. The, the, Xeros, the, the alternative Xeros build. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, with Seraphon coming into the meta a little bit more, you know, when you look at the uh, Seraphon in isolation, like, you know, you know, I guess except for Salamanders, Skinks aren't that great, you know, by themselves, but when you put a Star Priest behind them with, you know, Mortal Wounds on sixes, you give a Skink Priest plus one to hit, plus one save, and all of a sudden, you know, these little unit, these little five-wound heroes make this unit of skinks into a terrifying unit of you know monsters and if the venator has the ability to snipe them you know i'll shoot your hero so i'm you know hitting on twos winning on threes with a knight faded arrow it's neg one ren but it's three damage plus d6 if they're a hero so if i take off that star priest i just shut down no look those skinks aren't terrifying anymore they're just regular skinks uh, and again, or, or he could potentially snipe a slam like if a slam's on the board you roll hot take that off take that slam off and he's also participating in um Objective games. So, for example, place of arcane power. He can sit on the bottom objective, 30 inch range. He's just shooting away, um, you know, picking off those heroes with such, you know, decent to hit at, you know, plus two. So, plus three with lookout, sir. It's still pretty good. It's still pretty decent. And it's just the ability to take away that synergy from that army. Because once you pick all the heroes off, I don't think the army's, well, it's still scary again with salamanders, but I think they're just a single unit. They just do a lot of nasty things, but skinks don't become that scary. Uh, Razordons aren't really scary at all. It's just once the synergy falls apart, I think they all fall apart. Sam and said again, that was an awful. Sam Sam Morgan said that was an awful take. So he doesn't rate your take on Salamence and your Seraphon build. That <laughs> what does he know? He's not on this show. He doesn't know anything. No, definitely not. What about Sam? What about Sam? He's he's like he's old news. I haven't had him on this show for like a couple of years now. But yeah, he's um, been a little while. He's <laughs> No, I think the Venator is a really good place, right? No, maybe not the best place. Like, I think there are other units out there, but I like the idea of that I can sit in on an objective, for example, Arcane Power, and I can still participate with that model. I can still yeah. score points because I think the big thing at the end of the day is what we always got to remember with IDK is I've got limited amount of models. I want to be in your army with all my models. I need to still be scoring points. I still need to be protecting for like those, what is it, Blood and Gory, Knife to the Heart turns. I mean, not that one model will save me, but I still need to be, you know, protecting my objectives here and there. And the ability to shoot with 30 inches is still quite beneficial. 
Yeah. And, they, and there might be alternative builds again. You know, you might want to get some more reliability and get um, some re-roll ones to hit um, if you need it from another particular build. Um, so you might go the Knight of Zeros. Uh, you yeah. know, if you're finding, you know, especially like now we've got more Allegiance terrain on the table, you might want to take a little little 2D Matute, little Knight Heraldor. Um, yeah. There's a whole bunch of cool, there's a whole bunch of cool um, uh, Stormcast allies you could tap into. Although they're not the only allies, right? You've got the Darkling Coven, so you're tapping the Cities of Sigma. Absolutely loving those Scourge, the Scourge Runner chariots as well. Which, yeah, um, I think that's what Sam will bring up. He yeah, loves the Scourge yeah. Runner. Um, I'm personally in love right now with Order Serpentis, so I've been running like a Dread Lord. I'm loving Drakespawn Knights, um, you know, especially in Tempest Eye. But like, you know, the Drake, the, the Dread Lord is, uh, I'm absolutely loving it. He's just an absolute beat stick. But you've got a really rich, Ally pool, you know, you've got Darkling Coven, yeah. Dorothy Kane, uh, your Eldritch Council, so you can still tap in things like the Lawmaster, uh, RIP yes. Lawmaster. You got Order <laughs> Serpentis, Scourge, you got the Scourge uh, Privateers, you got Shadow Blade, Stormcast, you got Sylvaneth, you got Wanderers, you've got literally like half of Grand Alliance Order uh, as an ally option. Yeah, I think the only thing we need now is Seraphon so we can get those uh, extra command points. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, 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 you know, obviously, uh, again, you've got so much to call the things to tap into. We mentioned Ben Smenity before. He's absolutely in love with his Charybdis. Um, the fact that it auto-heals is a nice little monster. It kind of works well. But, again, you can kind of tap into your ally pools with something different. Um, Definitely. A prime. Think, <laughs> a prime, yeah. I think the one thing as well is that you can take your core, like, kind of, like, eels, and then you can always, like, against – you'll see all kinds of people venture out to, like, a gore trek or a uh, Celestine Prime is a good example. Like, I think the good thing about IDK is that you can take, all right, I've got 12 eels that will suffice, and then I can uh, venture out into, you know, any of my other alliances that I think might be beneficial. Well, the, and the Prime, for example, is another great one to for null deployment as well. We can't yeah, come from exactly. the sky. Get you with a hammer. And it drops all the mortals as well. So you've already got mortals for coming from your eels and more mortals from him as well. So, yeah, again, ability to pick off those uh, small little heroes is what you want with uh, IDK, especially against Seraphon and maybe even Zench. Instead of going through the last list that you sent me, I'm going to kind of throw you a curveball that I know you're not prepared for. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to talk to you about the things that you haven't talked about. And I want to get your kind of like your elevator pitch or, you know, your hot takes right now on where they stand in the in the current meta. So I guess the first things first is our two Eidolons. So poor old Eidolons, you've got the aspect of the storm and the aspect of the sea. Uh, they are a, a big points investment for a hero choice in your army. Um, where do they currently stand in in your list selection or, you know, the importance of putting into a list? Is there a place for them? Um, I think uh, I think it's the Idol on the Storm or the melee heavy one is one which I've given some consideration. Like the magic one, I just don't have enough magic like cast. You know, when you're in a, a meta with Nagash at plus three to unbind and, again, Croak at plus two, board wide, et cetera, um, there's not a lot of room for us to have much magic. So I'd probably go for the melee heavy one just because I already am melee heavy. So, and the ability to reroll once to wounds is quite nice. I just think he's a little bit too expensive, but there is room for him to, you know, enter enter the meta, especially with Nectar Red and some of his weapons. And the ability with, again, those Ishlin rituals to have him reroll hits, that's all of a sudden he's looking a lot better. But I guess you'd have to invest heroes again. And by the way, the other ally we had, we we did speak about at the start, but not specifically call out is Gotrek. Um, yeah, what does Gotrek bring to a deep list? 
it brings the uh, what doesn't he bring to a deep team list? He brings obviously. I think he benefits from everything that he loses everywhere else. The fact that he can't teleport, that he gets the run and charge. The fact that I guess he gets to fight first and he gets to fight again at the end of the uh, combat phase. So he deletes everything and whatever piles into him, he deletes it again and he's taking minimal wounds. It's just, yeah. I guess, the thing that can kill what can't be killed, which is like Nagash, for example, or like whatever it may be out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah Archeon running around right now as well. So, you, yeah. and who knows, who knows what Techless is going to do? Um, if yeah, whoever's exactly. is, yeah. So, I think um, yeah, the fact that he can do all those kind of things and he can retreat and charge, I think that's very good as well. Like, uh, that's the one thing I've underappreciated a little bit with GoTrek is the fact that he comes in, he smashes, then he retreats out and he charges in again and smashes again. Like, that would be very powerful, especially if you flip the tides or, yeah, later on in the game. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, that's really good. So we, there might be a space for the Eidolon of the Storm Sea, you know, maybe the magic, you know, and you guys don't really play in the magic game very much. So I think the rituals yeah. come in a lot more. Obviously, you've got some spell casting, but you're not an army that relies on magic to do your thing. Yeah, no, I think that's the big thing about our army is that we don't need magic to pull what we pull off. We don't need um, many bonuses except for in, in combat. And that's why I think staying away from magic is wiser or smarter because it's just it's not a it's not a great investment but and all, all the magic when you look at our lore and all that i think we just naturally get it like i think the one that we all take is like that abyssal depth which is the benefit for cover but you get it in turn one anyway and then after that you're in cover or you're charging so you're not going to get it regardless so i think you know regardless if you manage to get it off or not i just don't think there's that much benefit for us in magic we what about yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about your your foot troops, your things like your reavers and your thralls? Where where do they currently stand? Uh, I don't think they're that bad. I think like reavers and thralls. I think thralls, especially like you know the fact that they can fight fast, the fact that they've got these little like special abilities. If you only have one wound, they get an extra attack. If you have more than four wounds, I think they get plus one to hit or something, or no, an extra yeah. damage. Something like that. I think that that's not bad at all. And the fact that they get to fight first in turn three, they definitely have a place in the meta. And I used to play with thralls. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just, again, I think Eels just pull that slightly ahead. And if they get a little bit cheaper and in the battalion, all of a sudden IDK can become a low drop. And dictating the turn with IDK, I think, is very powerful as well. Because I think one of the big things about IDK is that we don't care about the turns too much. Because whether we go first or second, yeah, if we go second on turn two, it means we can set up for turn three. If we go first for turn, if we double turn turn two, then we have a chance to, you know, hit again. So I think that's one of the luxuries that IDK have is that we don't, mind too much about the uh turn activation let alone yeah i guess turn three we, will, we always want to go first but at least we have the opportunity to say on turn one and two you can have the double turn i'll go second because we're high drops usually we go first yeah yeah but it's yeah and, and you know being able to put you know three to six units on the side of the board depending on how many um soul scries you've got you know certainly means that you don't have to worry about that whether you're high drop you know to dictate the terms of battle yeah. Um, at the same time as, you know, you can put all your juicy stuff on the side so they're not being targeted in, in turn one. Um, yeah, exactly. And then so you have the luxury of just being like, I don't mind if I go first, I don't mind if I go second, I don't mind if I go first in the second turn. It's just I had that luxury of being comfortable in terms of the order of our turns. It's only turn three. And even then, if I do it right, going, you know, fighting only on the third turn first, that's all I need. Well, fighting on the second half of the turn, yeah. We've talked about Alapexes, and I think the Sharks are finding a, their, their time in the sun. We are seeing more and more lists taking Sharks, and I think 
Um, obviously, there's a little bit of a trade difference, right? Like sharks have what eight wounds. Um, yeah, eight wounds. I know when I've played Ben Spinetti in the past, who's you know we keep talking about Ben one because he's a great player, two um, he he's a lover of sharks, and I've seen him use them really well in groups of one. So you know, yeah. given that they've got eight wounds, a battle shock is quite expensive for them, so especially if they if they do lose more than one, you know you know you really want to use a CP on them. Um, yeah, but yeah. if you do, you want to keep you, you want to keep those eight wounds. You don't want any of them to run, but it is kind of expensive CP to, to use. Uh, given that you don't have a lot of CP to begin with, and they can go somewhere else, that's going to be better use, like in your eels. Uh, but having like those those little little units of one kind of self-contained running around the board, people are focusing on your on your eels, and these sharks just come in and do absolute damage. Um, so I think there's a place for sharks in in the current meta, and I think Ben's kind of proving it. Would you agree with that? 100%. I think the fact that it's these little bits and pieces of damage that up over a game as well. Like, again, a five win here with Seraphon. Sharks get the shoot. They have, you know, the ability to do it like a three shot or a one shot, uh, doing three damage or one damage each. You know, two turns you could pick off a Star Priest, two turns you could pick off a Skink Priest, and they have neg two damage, three, three, right, neg two ran three damage on their bites and fins. And you have one of them just running around or two times one of them running around on the board. Yeah, that could definitely. Um, mess up a few people's games because again like you said people are just going to be focusing on those eels where are the six morsa where are those eels and then there's two sharks who was just again just going into your back lines because nine times out of ten they'll do maybe one one damage with their shooting so then they get to re-roll charges yeah and i was gonna say the sharks get some benefits if they shoot something but they don't kill it it's like a little like sniffing blood or something there's a some type of like thematical rule yeah. there so so you know i know ben whenever i play ben he'll shoot my character and just to do one or two wound to it, but by getting by getting those one or two wounds off and not killing like a one wound model, um, yeah. he's able to get a whole bunch of benefits for the charge, and then they come in and they're just much more dangerous than shooting like a one wound um, you know, foot troop and not being able to take advantage of that. Exactly, and it's again it talks about what we talked about before with the uh, you know maybe turn one you're not killing that hero, but then turn two you're killing that hero and you're then ripping apart their you know those little one wound heroes so it all adds up with sharks i reckon there's just this little maybe secret tech that haven't had quite had their uh their day in the sun yet but maybe with a, a nerf to eels or another bath to sharks i could definitely yeah, i could definitely see them coming to the front and it'd be great to play them <laughs> the last unit i'm burning to ask about and um i always had visions of buying four of these putting bandanas on them uh and calling them my teenage mutant ninja turtles and that is oh, the Leviathans. Uh, I, I did. I did want to have like a narrative list of having four Leviathans and having like a um, having a Vermin Lord to be my Master Splinter, uh, showing my so showing my age here as a '90s kid. But Leviathans, where are they at in the current meta? Are these big turtles. They have seen a points decrease over the years. Are they in a place now that uh, they might be worth putting into a list? Um, or like, why would you bring it? Or why wouldn't you bring it? Um, I, I don't think they're in a place right now that they can competitively come into the game. That's right now. Maybe that will change in the future. I just think they're too expensive for what they bring. Um, but I have heard rumors. Maybe you can confirm this that it has killed a more crusher in turn one, or like one turn, one turn more crusher. Well, look, I played Rock, I, I, I played Rocco the other day, and he uh, he did put fifteen wounds on a uh, go. Uh, Gortrak. No, yeah, Gordrak, Gordrak. 
Gordrak and Gotrek, why they they've got two different two very similar names, and I always like accidentally say the other. Um, he did put 15, but as we were talking about before the show started, that's not something consistent that you can expect to, that it can put out. Yeah, uh, it was a lucky roster. Like, I guess what, what I'm trying to say here is don't go get a Leviathan thinking you're going to be able to take down these big wound heroes oh in God. one round of combat. Like, it was a lucky roll, but it does yeah. have potential. It does have potential, and you can do stuff with it. Just don't go in expecting that um, all these hot rolls. I think yeah, I think like the Leviathan may have may see more play if Pharrells and Reavers see more play. I think the Leviathan has more synergy into that. I think yeah. it's the reason that you don't see much plays because you just see eels instead. Like all the Leviathans. Hundred percent, and that's because if you've uh, because basically your Idenath Deep King units are treated as being in cover if they're holding within twelve inches. So yes, in turn one, your whole army is going to be in cover anyway. But as you're moving your thralls up the board or your reavers up the board, you're going to be able to tap into that. And the reason he was able to do so much damage to, to my my hero is because if you roll a six plus to hit, um, it does uh, six mortal wounds. Yeah, it's, it's right. six plus. It's six plus. You can bring it down if you've got some ways to add plus one to hit. So it is a six I think, plus. I think the FAQ is changed to unmodified, but don't okay. take my word right. on that. All right, we'll check it out. Internet, don't don't yeah, before before you do what I just said. Go check the FAQs and the errata, as per the wall scroll six plus. But they may have FAQ'd that. Um, I think it was at the Christmas yeah or the Christmas FAQ, the December FAQ. They uh yeah write it to unmodified of six. But either way, uh, either way, like the the jaws you've got uh what for the crushing the, the crushing jaws. It is yeah. one, yeah. Okay, cool. yeah. So, six mortal wounds is pretty nice. It's it's very nice. You know, that's like you know that brings like a little bit of terror guys pain to a player. You know, rolling those sixes. <laughs> but 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 it's only one attack as well. So like it is to, to get a six to hit that's on that one. Give them two. Pardon? Give them two attacks. Yeah. That's how you fix them. All right. Well, okay. Well, either way, like like I guess what I'm po- I'm trying to point here is that it's super lucky to do. It does have the potential. Don't expect it yeah. every game. I think the one thing also is that cover is like a little bit like, you know, do you kill the Leviathan or do you kill the Thralls that are in cover or the Reavers that are in cover? It's a little bit like, I think that's where one thing I can start seeing play is like, it's a little bit like a shield saying, I have to kill the Leviathan first because he's given these units bonuses. But then all these little units who are doing the damage rather than the Leviathan is obviously they're what's mincing up your army. So it's a little bit like, what do I go through first? Which again, could see some play. I think um, I think the point I'm really trying to make here, and the, the reason I asked Hayden to, for his advice, is that you know with the new general handbook coming, new scenarios coming, we don't know what's coming for deep care, we don't know what's coming for the scenarios. Um, right now, I think things like thralls, alapexes, um, aspect of the store of, of the store, storm, the combat guy, yeah, 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 yeah the, the combat one, the combat one, yeah, that's easy. And Alapexes, they have a place in the book. It's just right now, eels are probably just too good. But if a points adjustment came in, you know, 10 or 20 points kind of variance either way, you might find that the the momentum kind of swings. And now there is an incentive to be running a whole bunch of uh, thralls under the Leviathan or, or by a bunch of whole, whole bunch of like one-man Alapexes or running around with, you know, uh, Lotan or something. Um, we just never know. But right now... That's why the eels have been focused in the meta. Yeah, exactly. I think like it's not like eels are obnoxious. They're not like salamanders, which is just like I'm going to bring fourteen because they're so good and nothing else is good. It's they're just better than alapaxes. You know, 
So therefore, we're going to bring them along because they're just competing a little bit more. But again, maybe if Alapex is down, down 10 points or Eels went up 10 points, you'd probably see a big, a big change in the meta of, yeah, for IDK. I think the only thing that I've really struggled with with the Thralls is that they're on 32 mil bases with one-inch attacks. If they right. either were on... Yeah, well, yeah, sorry, one inch range. So if they were on 25 mil bases or if they were had two inch range, I think you'd probably see even more thralls on the table. But the likelihood of getting those 10 into combat in their current position is hard. And it's not like their uh, weapons aren't that, you know, far off from looking two inches. Like they're pretty, you know, Paul Amish. Yeah. So I think it's a definitely yeah. a good possibility. Should happen. Yeah. Well, hopefully there is a, a new rule coming out. I mean, you are one of the oldest battle terms now. You use Stormcast, Legions of Nagash, Daughters of Cain. Uh, there's only a couple of you left now, pre-Soul Wars. Um, yeah. So. I think, I'm hoping we'll be like the last book to be changed because I don't think we're in that much of a bad place. I think it's just maybe a few points changes here then it fixes us up. But I think there's other armies that need love first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, I would like to see the day that Deakin really does explore the book. Um, I think we're getting closer to that day. Uh, but, yeah. you know, most armies that I've played that have been eyeing at Deakin, much like yourself and, you know, you have been successful, is with very heavy eels. So uh, whether you go build eels, uh, whether you go and explore other parts of the book, right now eels are just the strong part. And, you know, let's yeah. acknowledge the big elephant in the room. They're just good. Why would you take something suboptimal unless you really loved Sharks, turtles, thralls, aspects. Yeah, exactly. But I think the other thing also is that um, you know, if you want to play on the top top tables, you're going to bring eels. But if you bring alapaxes, you're not going to do bad. It's not like you're not going to have very you know bad luck. You're going to do very well. It's just maybe you're not going to take the whole tournament away because you didn't bring eels. But so I would still say go for alapaxes, but if you want to, because there may be a chance in the near distant future, end of June, that they might be better, and you just made a really good investment. Yeah. A couple of rapid-fire rapid questions to bring us home, I guess. Um, in the average game, yes, scenarios change, yes, opponents change, all things change. On average, how does a Knight of the Dipkin army win? Um, yeah, so I guess two ways is to make sure, number one, well, number one is you don't overcommit. So if you get tied, tie yourself up in combat, you're going to obviously find that you lose your punch. And then the enemy will punch back or your opponent will punch back harder. So you want to pick your battles wisely. So small units here and there, or at least try and hit from the side so that you're having the smallest footprints possible. And the other obvious other way is to wait for that turn three. But obviously, again, if you're not going to win on turn three because you've not got enough damage, then you ideally you just want to, again, punch from the sides, have a small footprint, and then just kind of try and grind it away as much as you can with like, you know, again, you've got like, MSU, MSU eels running around, so minimal units, and you're just trying to say, I'll sacrifice this unit this turn, I'll sacrifice this unit next turn, and you're just trying to rack up points. But either, yeah, yeah so it's either small footprint, hit from the sides, or turn three, go hard. I, I always see Dipkin armies, like when you're building around and you're playing them, you're really trying to dominate the board through high movement, manipulating the sides of the board and kind of dictating the terms of battle. So... Um, you know, being able to have the high movement to be able to reposition your army or to take things off the side of the board and choose where you want to attack and try to find that weak spot and wait for that weak spot to open. Or what you see is people are so scared of that, that uh, the six units, or sorry, three units or six units coming from the side of the board, they don't fully commit to the board. Or maybe they bubble wrap and make sure that um, they castle up so that you can't hit their juicy stuff which means that their, their army is quite compressed and they're not taking up the whole part of the board. 
or they're deploying much closer back so that, you know, you, you don't have to worry about deep striking at the back, which means that, again, the, the dudes that are on the board uh, are able to kind of take up more board space and not have to worry about combat as early. So there's exactly. a lot of manipulation. The fact that, you know, if they're castling up, they're not on objectives. You're sitting on objectives, yeah? So you're going to be winning the game without even having your combat because you're kind of like a finesse army. You don't you don't have a lot of wounds. You don't have a lot of, like, you know, I guess you can't really take a hit too well. You can take somewhat of a hit with the Ishulin. But if they're castling up because they're terrified of your uh, sideboard alphas or, you know, where you manipulate the board, then, again, the turns are just going to rack up. And, again, you're going to come closer to that turn three again, which kind of secures your victory if they castle up too much. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. No, it's it's good, and I think that's where kind of you guys really own the, the board. And I think they're always striding for uh, attacking first in the high tide, whether it's turn two or turn three, depending if you flip it or not, uh, is really powerful. And I think in the current meta with shooting, being able to uh, mess up people's shooting, I know there's been a couple of times where I've played a deep kin and I've wanted to shoot the character, but I'm just not allowed to. So yeah, uh, like, oh, like and that's. And like you know, I, and I've chosen things that I want to be able to shoot. You know, I've got like a thirty-inch shot, or you know, something that's going to do a whole bunch of cool stuff. But I'm forced to shoot the eels, the thralls, the as you said, maybe it's the um, the the aether wing, something that's 50, yeah. fifty points, right? And it's just taking some wounds that uh, your eels it's aren't going to soak. Twenty iron breaks into a fifty points of aether wings. That's it. Feels bad. Yeah. But yeah. It's it's the power, yeah. It's the power to always be relevant. I feel with that allegiance is that you know if meta if the shooting gets stronger, we get stronger. If combat gets heavier, we get stronger on turn three. Like it's it's how the it doesn't matter how the meta evolves, we always seem to evolve with it with those allegiances, which is what always I think has kept us you know a S tier kind of army for uh, those three years. Is that it's not so much about war scroll creep in terms of like you know having hitting on twos, winning on twos. It's about our allegiance allow us to i guess you know adapt yeah yeah you, got, you guys have been quite flexible you guys have been competitive the entire since the book is released you and yeah. daughters of cain have really held their own things like nurgle things like legions of, of nagash they have not held their own and that's why i mean nurgle needed the uh wrath of the ever chosen legions oh, yeah. of nagash, especially like dead like people aren't really doing very well competitively with it um but yeah, you guys have held your own, and I think it kind of shows the flexibility in this book. And it was a well-written book. I definitely think it was a definitely well-written book, and yeah, it's hopefully that's why when they do that, if they do do a new book, they keep it well-written. Because I guess my biggest fear is that we get the silver nerf treatment, which, by the way, is an ally choice, and uh, we won't talk about that. The, uh, What's your ally in? We won't talk about the battalion of you know wooden sea, which. Um, <laughs> We just don't talk about Silverneth anymore. That was one of the reasons why I actually picked up IDK. I had a Silverneth army and then the book dropped and it was time to move on. By the way, shout out next week. I'm doing a show about Silverneth with <laughs> with, 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 uh, with one of the, the best Silverneth players in the UK. So uh, I'm sure that'll be interesting. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll ask that question of where they stand and maybe there's something we can bring from that. But uh, it is a hard ally choice. I look forward <laughs> to it. It is a hard ally choice when you think about how rich your allies are. Final question to kind of bring it all home. Um, what are the things that you have learned by playing this army that may not be as obvious to a new player picking up this book for the first time? Like what's all the stuff that you've kind of learned from the experience and the play style or even something that that when you put it on the table, the mechanics is far greater or, you know, more complicated? You know, like what have you learned? 
Yeah, I think it's making use of your allegiance abilities big time. So I think it's very easy just to think, you know, I'm fighting first, I'm in cover, I'm running and charging. But it's all your models or all your units get those allegiance. So, you know, down from your TIE caster, down to your Soul Scryer, down to you know, even Volturnus, you can sacrifice, you know, with your allegiance for shooting. You can tie units up with your allegiance for like, you know, by fighting first or you just have to so much flexibility that every game just you have a way of winning where, you know, sometimes you may feel like you don't. It's just, it's an ever adapting. I feel like IDK are ever adapting. So it doesn't matter how, what kind of game, again, like I've had a game where I just realized I'm not going to win. I'm just going to grind it out. And I learned that on the day. It was just, you're always, I guess, you, you come into Sunday thinking, I can't win this. You know, I don't have the power. But IDK, I always feel like there is a way. As long as you look at, you know, you understand your allegiance, as long as you look at your army hard enough, you can always pull out that victory. And I think that's why, you know, IDK have always been quite prevalent as well. Yeah, I mean, you've got the high movement, you've got the ability to, you know, dance around the table. I've just been thinking to myself the last couple of minutes, you know, um, one of the builds in Cities of Sigma is people taking the Soul Screen Bridge and, you know, teleporting Iron Drakes or Crossbowmen or Handgunners or Sisters of the Thorn, the Watch, the ones who are on on, on foot. Um, but the point, it's it, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, like, Sisters of the Thorn are the ones on the on the Deers. The Deers, yeah. On the foot. But, like, they take that big block of 30, teleport them up the board and then shoot. And I'm just thinking about how annoying that would be if I if I built my strategy around that and I come up against a Deepkin player and I'm not able to, like, drop 60 shots with, like, Ren 1, Ren 2 that have been super buffed up into that juicy target because I'm forced to shoot at whatever's at the front. Whatever. And it's the same with, like, uh, I guess, like, Vanguard Raptors. Like, you're, you know, you're trying to get the alpha with your drop off the board and then all you realise is, all oh, right, I've got, you know, four, all my points in these Raptors and all I can do is shoot these Ishling Guard and he doesn't yeah. care. And then once I, once he drops down, he's going to bring his units on the board and, you know, I can't shoot what I want to shoot. It's, yeah, it's so powerful just to understand that. And you can even sacrifice your Soul Scry, just be like, I'll put my Soul Scry here. I know he's going to die, but he's going to take, you know, again, those 30 sisters shots. He's guaranteed yeah. to die, but he's done his job. And I think that's one thing I've learned is, you know, no model is so sacred to keep except maybe Volturnus. But even then, he, you can still sacrifice him because you're still fighting first on turn three. Yeah. yeah. Even, my, even my Shadow Warriors, if we played my Shadow Warriors, they're now forced to attack what's closest, not what's juiciest. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm bringing this point home because when we would have recorded Faction Focus Deepkin, they were not that the shooting wasn't that popular it wasn't that strong now it's becoming more strong so that rule i think is more important than ever before so yeah exactly. um, and i think the one thing is that when you look at that rule is to understand that it's not just your army that gets that rule it's well your army gets it but again it's like those aether wings you know it's the IDK are not the closest, and those Aether Wings are closer. You must shoot at the Allies. And so all those little bits and pieces that, you know, eventually add up to the like, oh, so I can bring 50 points and screen my entire army. Fantastic. Yeah. And 50, 50 points are cheap. Um, yeah. Any final comments you want to talk about with Ineth Deepkin before we wrap this up, Aiden? Um, I think we covered a lot. I think, you know, if you're going to pick up IDK, I think you're well endowed to invest in any of the models. You'll always do really well. Whether or not you'll be at the top, top table does not matter if that's not what you're interested, but you will always do well because of how the book is written, because of how the allegiance play out and how the models, you know, work. So Alopexes, even Thralls can do their job. You know, there's been before Eels were a big thing, you know, Thralls were around. So they'll always be maybe competitive, just not top dogs. 
So, so you can cool. literally you can buy anything, which is great. I think there's so much flexibility in the army. So I'll bring it home by saying add more Leviadons. I want more turtles yeah. on the table. Uh, bonus points if you put bandanas on them. But bonus points if you put bandanas on them and you, you call them Ninja Turtles. There is some guy at CanCon. I don't know if you saw him. He did bring the Ninja Turtles. He painted them all up. He had like you know all the all the shells like you know the red. Oh, he's, he's, yeah, he's one of my boys. He's from my oh, crew. There you go. He's from the the Lord's yeah, room. Yeah. Yeah, my crew. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah I just um, say, you got the Ninja Turtles. That was that was amazing. There you go. I didn't have four. I didn't think he had four. I think he had like two or three at most. No, there was one with four. I'll guarantee it. You can. Uh, I'll look it up maybe, for you. Maybe it wasn't one of my crew. Uh, but speaking of crew, you are a part of the Model Citizens. Uh, model Citizens. Model Citizens. Model oh, citizens, yeah. that's right. You are a model <laughs> citizen. Uh, do you want to bring it, bring us home any shout-outs, any call-outs? Uh, if people want to find you, where can they find you, Hayden? Uh, yeah, so big shout-out to all the model citizen, citizen boys. So big shout-out to Will, who organised it all. So if you ever want to find us or join us, we've got a Facebook group. Just look up model citizens um, on Facebook. We also, well, right now we're not, but we do catch up at House of War in Ringwood. So that's out east of Victoria in Melbourne. Uh, big shout out to Mr. Smorgan himself and the uh, Runax boys. So that's Arthur Volgaris and Smorgan. Um, otherwise, I think, yeah. Oh, like Luggy Last is the Greensboro's. It's a little group up north. If you're in the northern suburbs, check out the Greensboro boys. It's like Greensboro Good Games. So there's, yeah, there's little groups all over the place. Just look out for them. No, but, awesome, yeah. and pretty sure if, like forty-five percent of my audience is in America, so I'm sure they'll be definitely at House of War uh, when we reopen. No, look, it's been great. I think uh, I love the Melbourne guys. I think um, there's definitely opportunity in the Melbourne crew. There's a good bunch of people, but I would love to see that that scene grow. Uh, I know you guys are doing some great work there, but Hayden, this was an absolute pleasure. I know we could talk a lot more about Ivan the Dipkin. Um, but I think everyone who enjoyed this, please like, subscribe, comment, do the youtube stuff that I should be telling you to do. Um, hopefully you are already liking, subscribing, commenting. Let me know what your thoughts are. If you think um, you are using Leviadons or Alapexes or you're bringing in some interesting allies, we would always love to hear what you're doing. Um, and, you know, even maybe look at some of the ways you can build around some of the new meta, whether it's going to be Zanj, Seraphon, who knows what Ibneth, who, who what the what our um, Lumineth's going to bring to the table. Um, but I think you're in a good spot because I certainly have been thinking about how do I build an army outside of Magic Reliance and do I give up Magic altogether? And I think Deepkin is showing the way that you don't need Magic to, with, a, with a good game plan. And if you've got, like, some kind of IDK hidden filth, hit me up. I'm all, I'm all ears. Love to hear it. Uh, the bloke came 14th. He doesn't need any more secret filth. He's got enough. <laughs> Just a little bit more. No, thanks uh, for the uh, episode today, Coach. Um, uh, hopefully the real Hayden out there, the Hayden Ford RDK, uh, Sam and um, Will from Model Citizens wants to get in touch apparently. Apparently I'm an imposter. So that's a shout out to the other Hayden. Shout out to other Hayden. So in Australia is two Hayden Fords who play Deepkin. So shout out to both of you Hayden Fords uh, playing the mirror matches. You guys are killing it in the scene. Thank you very much. Uh, cool. <laughs> All right. Well, modest citizens, let's roll. Uh, make sure to focus on the objectives and shoot the heroes. It's always the best advice I can give you at this point in time. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the show. Like, comment, subscribe. Hayden, you're a, you're a godsend. Great discussion. Thank you very much. Catches. See you guys.